Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, Friday was an important day for us. Springtime has arrived. In Florida, springtime is only the month of March because that's when spring training is. It's the only way you could tell otherwise, right? Because it's just not quite as cool. It's fixing to get really hot. That's what March is, right? Not quite as cool, getting to get really hot. Um, Julie and I went out to the, uh, the Cardinal opener of spring training, and uh, it was amazing. I, I love to sit out there, and it just, I don't know. There's something special about sitting out and watching a baseball game. And I think the reason, it's, it's not because I bought tickets and went out to the game, it's because that's history for me. That began when I was a kid. Probably before I could even went to school, my dad began to play ball with us. And we learned to catch and throw. And we learned that when you get hit in the noggin with a baseball, that it'll feel better when it stops hurting. Amen, Nathan? It'll feel better. That's what my dad used to say. You'd be rolling around on the ground. Oh, my gosh, it hit me in the head. Son, it'll feel better when it stops hurting. It's a really helpful thing. Don't recommend, guys, you share that with your wife when she's giving birth or anything like that, but it's, it is, it's a good thing. Feel better when it stops hurting. But I, I'm, I'm in there. We're watching, we're watching the game. It's so much fun, but it's, a, it's because of all that's happened in the past and the great memories of family, the great times together playing and watching a silly game, granted. That's why it meant something to me, and that's why sitting there with my wife, watching the ball game, remembering being there with our kids, remembering being there with my dad, my mom, um, it was special. Most of the things in our lives don't just happen all of a sudden, do they? There's a lot of factors that go into who you are today. And I would submit to you, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of factors that have gone into you being in this room today, right now. I don't think it's just random. See, God has been at work in your life if you're here today. And there have been many things that have, result, that have affected that you, you're here today. There have been people that have been helpful to you. There's no doubt been the Word of God. At some point, you've heard some part of it, and it's why you're here today. Or maybe someone just invited you, and that's why you're here today. But God's been at work. And that's what He does. As Henry Blackaby would say, God is always at work all around us. And I believe that's true, and we're going to see that in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, as we look at how God works in one life. The title of the message today from the series, Engage Your World, is simply this, Ask the Question. Ask the Question. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. And here's where we are in the story of the early church. Remember, Pentecost happened, the church begins to form, thousands of people respond. And then there's this persecution led by Saul, who would later be known as Paul and write half the New Testament. But he's dragging people out of their homes. It's a terrible, brutal persecution to stop the church because he sees it as a threat to the worship of the one true God. And there's literally evil that is happening. 
It's kind of reminiscent of what we're seeing in the Ukraine right now, the brutal evil of an empire trying to stop a people, trying to overcome a people. As I shared last week, anytime we see this, we see this scattering of people as a result of evil on display. God is showing us how bad evil is, and God is moving people to another place that they can share the good news of Jesus. There's many believers in Ukraine. There's a Baptist seminary in Ukraine. So continue to pray for them and pray for their effectiveness as they go and as they share the good news of Christ. And there's a whole mix-up of people that are happening right now. So there's persecution in Jerusalem. And the church disperses because they're really about to all be put in jail. And so Philip has gone up to Samaria, and he's had great success there with the crowds. And then the whole narrative of the church really changes dramatically. Moves from large group to small group. Large group is great, right? How many of you have been to a Billy Graham crusade when you were a kid? I mean, you remember those days, a powerful, powerful speaker and God moving through thousands of people. I remember going to the, a big stadium, a football field, and I was sitting at one end and Billy Graham was preaching at the other end. The whole field was vacant. I thought, I wonder why that whole field is vacant. Are they thinking when he gives the invitation that the area is going to fill up? I thought, that's, that's not going to happen. But it did. People responded. Even though Billy Graham was a great evangelist and it was a great crusade, he always had a counselor meet with everyone who responded. So while it was large group, it was also small group in the sense that everyone had a personal conversation with the counselor and said, what is God doing? We do that here at First Baptist Del Rey. If you're a member of our church, you know that you have had a conversation with a staff member or a deacon or, or a key leader to know what is your Jesus story. We've asked the question, when did you start to follow Jesus? What, was, what happened then? And we hear that whole story. and We help guide you through what's actually happened. It's a lot of fun, but it gives everybody the sense of, okay, I have had an encounter with Jesus. Large group, small group. All of Acts right now has really been large group, and it's about to, as Steve Martin would say, get small. Let's look at Verse 26, if you know that reference, if you know that reference see me later, Steve Martin, get small. Anyway, verse 26 of chapter 8 of the book of Acts, the word of the Lord says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, Philip's used to large crowds and the angel of the Lord directs him to a desolate place. He leads him from Jerusalem down a road that it goes, Jerusalem is high, Gaza's on the coast, so it's low. And so there's this going down into this deserted, desert place. Not a lot going on. And for your Philip, you're thinking, God, can you use me in a place like that? I thought I was going to go speak to crowds. I thought I was going to go speak to teeming cities and every, we're going to be this massive, it's what I'm used to. But God calls him to a desert place. Can God work in a desert place? Can God work in a desolate, deserted place? Has God called you to a deserted place? See, it's important for us to understand. Sometimes God calls us from the thrilling and exciting large group to just a few people, or maybe just to one person. Maybe where you work or where you live, you feel like that's a deserted, a desolate place. Maybe there's not a lot going on, but maybe there's just one person that God is interested in having you impact. 
It's interesting that God uses an angel. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know of a time that I was directed by an actual angel. Do you? Incidentally, side note, angels are not dead people, just in case you were wondering. Um, Angels are created beings. They're not humans. You will never be an angel. I'm sorry. I know some of you are wonderful, and you're looking forward to that. You're never going to be an angel. Actually, you're going to be a creature in heaven with God that's going to be above the angels. Isn't that exciting? Anyway, a little theology for you there. Um, An angel, a messenger of the Lord, says to Philip. So God is intentionally leading Philip to where he wants him to be. See, God has that ability, and he has that ability today as well. He has the ability to put you where he wants you to be, even though it may not where you expect it to be or are used to being. Angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down, to, goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Gaza was on the coast. This is the road that leads to Egypt and ultimately to the continent of Africa and throughout that whole region. So God sends Philip on this place. Verse 27, 28. And he arose and he went. So that's what Philip does. He obeys. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Notice what's happening here. Philip, um, Luke says this is an Ethiopian. So this is probably, most likely, a black man. In the, in the nation of Israel, and he has come up to worship. This is someone who is not like Philip. We need to understand, God calls us to minister to people who aren't like us, amen? You may be black, you may be called to minister to a white person. You may be Asian, God may be called you to listen to a Hispanic. You may be a white person, you may be called to witness to a black person. It's, it doesn't really matter, we have to understand, God's message goes way beyond skin color. And it's a part of what we're called to do, right? I mean, we should be excited about, I, I'm kind of excited about ministering different kinds of people. I love looking at this room right now. love all the color in the room. Uh, I even love the white people. Praise God for that. Um, and we love each other. We have to understand that God created all colors, right? And this story especially highlights the importance of ministering to people who are different from us because where do you think the Ethiopian is going to go? when he finishes this conversation. He's going to go minister to his people. So he's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. Now that means that he's unable to father children. He is physically infertile. Really interesting. See, a lot of us are, can be spiritually infertile. That's a great picture. Here's someone who can't reproduce physically. He's about to learn how to reproduce spiritually. I love how God does that. You may feel like, I don't have any influence in my life. I don't have any... Listen, God can use all of you to be spiritually reproducers, right? He can do that in our lives. So here he is, Ethiopian eunuch. And again, they would, they would sometimes create eunuchs through castration so that men could be trusted, possibly around the harem. They, just kind of how they did things at that time. It was, it was not an uncommon thing. He's a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. This guy was in charge of all of her treasure. It's kind of like Joseph was, right, with Pharaoh. He was kind of the second in command. This guy's a high-level person. You don't put a low-level official in charge of all your treasure. Very important guy. Very respected guy. Someone who would no doubt be listened to. 
And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Possibly the most unusual line in the whole story. Why would an Ethiopian come to Jerusalem to worship? You see, somewhere in his history, someone had told him about the God of Israel. He had gotten some knowledge. Probably wasn't a converted Jew or like a proselyte. Uh, could have been, but probably wasn't. Eunuchs weren't allowed to worship um, with, the, with the people, but this was someone who had some knowledge, so much so that he traveled all the way from Ethiopia, which would have been south of Egypt in those days, would have been hundreds of miles to, all, to come to Jerusalem to worship the one true God at the temple. See, the temple in those days was believed to be where God hung out. And if you could get to the temple, you could get to worship God. See, all of us have some history, don't we? There was somebody somewhere that shared something with you. You have some knowledge of God that brought you here today. Think about that for just a moment. Who had an impact on you? How did God get you from where you were to being sit, sitting in a service where the gospel is being preached? God's been at work. God has been at work. Everyone I've ever talked to about coming and following Jesus can tell me more than one story about how they got into that conversation. It probably does happen where it's just been once, but my, my history, my anecdotal uh, experience has been that God has been at work through many, many things. And look at all that's been done in this man's life. He's drawn to Egypt. And the next line, go ahead to the next verse, 28. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He had a copy of the Old Testament scriptures, or at least of Isaiah, which is, again, unusual and very expensive in those days. There was no iPad. There was no printing press. All there was was scrolls that would have parts of scripture on them. So look at all that God has done. And now God is bringing Philip into an intersection with this man. God's at work. I believe God's at work in each of our lives today. It's amazing how effective he is and how many different things he uses to get our attention and to get us to respond. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. How many people have heard the voice of God this morning, audibly, clearly, shouting at you. No, probably nobody, right? But all of you could have, should have sensed the presence of the Spirit. See, it's the normal experience of followers of Jesus to hear the voice, the prompting of the Lord. You say, wait a minute, I'm just getting a little mystical, a little spooky here. It, it should be normal. Jesus said what? Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been saved, you should have the Holy Spirit in your life. And it makes sense that he would speak to you, that he would prompt you. Now, let's be careful a little bit here because people have abused this, right? Anybody ever say, hey, God told me, God told me you should buy me lunch. 
or the classic seminary thing that happens among seminary guys who don't have any game. They go up to a girl and they say, you know, God told me you're going to be my wife. It's worth a try, right? <laughs> to which the girl would say, well, if he hadn't, to- he hadn't told me, so therefore I believe you should be stoned. Right? Because if you claim to speak for God and you're wrong, you ought to be stoned, right? Be very careful. I do know that God speaks. But God always speaks to glorify Jesus and accomplish His purpose. God doesn't speak for you to get a new car, a new lunch, or a new wife necessarily, okay? He's not about your goals. He's about His own goals. So when you think you hear God speaking, line it up with what Scripture says. See, God wants to use his people to accomplish his purpose, not to manipulate others. So God speaks, Philip, go over and join his chariot, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? I love this approach by Philip, right? He doesn't go over there and just jump on him, right? Hey, listen to me. God told me, right? He doesn't just go over and annoy him and have no basis for what he's about to say. He goes over and he runs alongside. Now, the chariot that the Ethiopian eunuch was in, probably not the Roman chariot you saw in Ben-Hur, right? You've seen Ben-Hur. If you haven't, you should. Um, But it's more of a wagon, probably a four-wheeled affair, pulled by oxen, doesn't go real fast, It's probably a nice vehicle. It's probably a Buick rather than a Bentley. Okay, it's it's good, but not just fabulous. It's a nice car to get him where he needs to go. Doesn't go real fast. And so what happens is Philip goes and he kind of jogs alongside. Hey. And he doesn't even say anything until he first listens. I love that. It's annoying when people start to talk before they understand what's really going on. This man is reading, and you would have read out in those days, often out loud, or maybe someone was reading out loud to him. And so Philip can easily hear the word of God being read. He comes comes alongside, he listens, and then he asks a question. A pertinent question. A valid question. But a question that kind of takes it beyond the, hey, how you doing? Aren't you sad that your team already lost in in the tournament, right? He takes it beyond that into the spiritual realm. He knows that he's reading the Word of God. And he asks a simple question, do you understand what you are reading? It's an amazingly wonderful, powerful tool to be able to ask a good question. It helps people get to the spiritual and leave just the temporal. Do you understand what you're reading? Isn't it amazing that God made this incredible sunrise or moonrise? And and isn't it amazing that God, to to take the conversation beyond just the day-to-day into a possible spiritual place, one of the things I like to do when I meet people is, do you have a church that you're a part of? You turn things to the spiritual. A very simple question. Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31. And he said to him, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
this is the turning point of the whole scripture right here. I love it that the Ethiopian eunuch thought enough and needed enough and was needy enough to ask for help. So many times there's someone right there who could answer our question. We're like, oh, we're fine. I'm good. Thanks. I got it. Looks like you're probably a Jew and maybe can answer the question I need to know. But you know what? I'm too prideful to actually ask the quest for help. I see this all the time. People get in such a mess because they didn't ask the question early enough. I see it in couples' lives often where they don't come to, for help until they're already in serious trouble. And maybe their hearts have already gone cold. But the eunuch asks an amazing question. How can I unless someone guides me? I need help. Could we all admit that at some point in our lives, and probably at a lot of points in our life, we needed help? We needed a guide? We need someone to explain what was going on? Can we all kind of admit that? Or are we too prideful to think, you know what, I can figure it out. I can Google that. i got a smartphone. Everything known to man is in there. Listen, we all need a guide. We all need help. And at least at one point, several, probably at many points in our lives, we need someone to help explain what God is doing. We need to help someone to help us interpret. What is he saying? What is he doing? Why is this happening? He asked the question, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit in the front seat with him and to tell him what's going on. I love that. That's a heart that's going to get the best from God. Verse 32 and following. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its, sh- its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and began with the scriptures, and he told the good news about Jesus. That's what Philip does. He just says, this is what you're reading, and Jesus Christ is the answer. This is who Isaiah is predicting, and he was just here, and he lived a perfect life, and he died as a sacrificial lamb for you and for for me. He takes where he was, and he draws a straight line to Jesus. It's really the best way to explain what God is doing. This is where you are. You're reading. You're wondering who this, who this person is. God has prepared your heart. And let me just fill in the gap. Let me just help you understand. There's stories throughout missions about this. Our friend Wilfred Gathongo in Kenya used to tell the story. He would go into a, a, a hut and he would see that there was a sign of a cross there. And the people had no idea why the cross was there. And there was three stones they always used to put their pot on. He says, why are those three stones there? We don't know, but it's our tradition. It's something we think we should do. He says, let me tell you, here's what the cross is. The three stones are the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he would fill in the gaps and share Jesus in that way. So typical. God has already laid the groundwork. And Philip fills in the gaps. He tells him the story of Jesus from where he is to where he can be. Next verse. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Hey, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
Philip no doubt shared what Peter had shared in Acts 3, Acts 2, 37 and 38, where the people said, hey, what do we do as a result of this message of, of the fact that, that, that we're sinners and that Jesus came to save us? And Peter says, listen, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive the Holy Spirit. See, the response to getting our questions answered about who Jesus is, is I need to repent. I need to trust you, Jesus, to pay for my sin. I can never make up for it, but you, Jesus, paid for me. You paid my fine. You paid my way out of death. You paid my way into innocence. I just need to repent. And then we baptize people to demonstrate that when we repent, when we receive Jesus Christ, we are cleansed and our old person dies and we become someone totally new. That's the picture of baptism. And so as they're driving along, the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, why can't we do it right now? And I love that. I love that sense of urgency. I, I want to be baptized now. I want to demonstrate what's already happened to me. I, I, I want this whole new life. And Philip obliges and they baptize him right there. Verse 39. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Notice what's happened here. Recognize what God has already been doing. And look at the fact that, he, that the eunuch requests answers to his questions. And it results in him receiving what Jesus wants to give. And what's the outcome? Is that he goes away rejoicing. Are you rejoicing today? What's in the way of you rejoicing? See, this Ethiopian eunuch got his questions answered. He received what Jesus had to give, and the result is that he is rejoicing. See, oftentimes it's a question that we, we, maybe you've walked with Jesus for a while, but you've gotten to a place where you don't really understand something, and you have a question that kind of stops you, and you get stuck, and your joy goes away, and now you can't really help others rejoice. See, God worked it out for Philip to be on the road with the Ethiopian eunuch so that he could receive the gift of salvation, so that he could rejoice, and so that he could return to Ethiopia to the whole continent of Africa with the good news of Jesus as probably the very first one to come into that whole continent with a message of salvation. That's how God works. God used Philip as the ideal instrument. He is led by an angel. He's prompted by the Spirit. He approaches the chariot. He listens before he speaks. He asks a great question. He advises him about the passage he's reading. He takes him as far as baptism. It's amazing. Don't you want to be Philip? Philip is amazing. Probably most of us aren't Philip, to be honest. There's a few Phillips in the room. But for most of us, we're the Ethiopian eunuch. We're the one who is farthest from God. And it's a great principle of studying God's Word. When you read God's Word, 
is to think of yourself not as the one who's getting it done, who's the one who's closest to God, and you're doing all the great things, and you're on top of it, and you're conquering, and you're amazing. It's really better to look at yourself as, what can I learn from the one who's furthest from God? Maybe I'm a lot more like the eunuch than I like to think. Maybe I'm, I live a long way from him. Maybe I'm not able to spiritually reproduce at this point. Maybe I have a position and I have a people, but I'm not. I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions. And I'm not really rejoicing in my life. So I'm not having much effect on others. But I got good news. If you're the eunuch, God's been working on you for a long time. God has been active. And He has been drawing you to this place today to get your questions answered. Here's what I want you to do today. Recognize all that he's done. Remember all the good stuff that he's done. He has done so much to draw you to himself. Remember those people. Remember those places. Remember those incidents. Remember the challenges in your life that caused you to turn to him and say, Jesus, I need some help. Recognize all he's done and request answers to your questions. One of the best ways you can get answers to questions is to be in a worship service like this on a regular basis. Honestly, we're online. You shouldn't miss a week. Try to be here every week, but if you can't, you can see the message online. It's there forever and ever. It will be there, I think, forever. It's like anything on the Internet. It never goes away. Um, But second, be a part of a life group, a small group, where you can know people personally, and as questions come up, it's easy to get your questions answered. What about this? How do I understand this? What about evil? Why do God let the good people suffer? Why is there evil in the world? Why is my life not like I thought it was going to be? Why did God allow this in my life? Why do I not have the finances I hope to have? Why do I not have the influence I'd hope to have? Why is my family messed up? All those questions you can get answered through brothers and sisters in Christ. And third, if you can't get them there, we would love to talk with you. And maybe you need the number one question answered today. Who is Jesus? And how do I receive what he wants to give? I'd love to share the answers with you today. Recognize all that God has done. Request answers to your questions. And receive what Jesus wants to give. Have you received what Jesus wants to give you? Have you received the gift of salvation? You say, well, I've heard about it. I have it someone in my past, and I, maybe, I, maybe I was baptized as a baby, and I was confirmed later, but I don't really know what any of that means. It doesn't have an effect on me. At some point in your life, you had to have made a decision to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need for you to forgive me. I can't do it myself. I can't make up for it. But you, Jesus, you paid the price. You took the punishment for me. By faith, I repent and I want to receive your salvation. And I want your spirit to come live within me. The only thing that holds you back from having what Jesus wants to give is a failure and a lack of willingness to bow the knee and repent. Say, Jesus, I need you. That's the only thing that's holding you back. So many people say, I really want that, but I don't know if I can say I'm wrong. That's the requirement. That's the offer. 
Recognize all that he's done. Request answers to your questions. Receive what Jesus wants to give. And then rejoice so you can help others rejoice. There should be a sense of joy in your life. Now you say, maybe I'm not just a real up person. Maybe I'm an introvert and I like sad music. Amen? Anybody? That's okay. But there should be an inner joy. There should be an inner joy that says, Jesus, I'm not basically sad. I'm basically happy. Because you, Jesus, have saved me. And I want others to know you. And and I want to spend eternity. I'm looking forward to this amazing place called heaven. I can't wait. I want other people to come alongside. And I want to do my part. You may not be Philip, but if you're the Ethiopian eunuch, you can do your part in helping your people rejoice. What's your question today? Would you bring it to Jesus? So I don't want anyone to leave with a question that remains unanswered. I'd love to chat with you after the service. We have other people that would love to chat with you as well. See me or see Julie and Jimmy at the Welcome Center on the way out. They'd be happy to connect you. That's what we're here to do. To help connect you to Jesus and have other people help you on your way. That's what church is all about. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.